0: Orchard Beach to Orchard Park and Tottenville to Troy. It's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across the 62 counties. And so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits.
1: And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am pretty giddy with excitement here because we have the first televised debate in the special election for public advocate coming up very shortly <laughs> this evening. I'm not even joking. I'm actually very serious. I love political debates. It's a fascinating election. We've got two televised debates, one tonight and one coming up in two weeks from now, and the election on Tuesday, February 26 citywide election. All registered voters can go out and vote. And this first debate will be very interesting. So I'm excited for that. You at City Limits just recently published a good new guide, a comprehensive guide looking at all the candidates that are running. There will be 17 on the ballot. There are 16 that are still pursuing it, really. And there are 10 who qualified for the first debate. So there's a guide at City Limits that folks should check out. And at Gotham Gazette, we published eight things to watch for in the first debate, so check that out before viewing or while viewing, and it's an exciting time. But while we've talked to a lot of these public advocate candidates, and we'll talk to others, we don't have too much time on that because today we have a different show.
0: That's right. Today we're going to be focusing on a couple other things going on. We have been speaking to a lot of the candidates for public advocate. There are 16 active candidates on the ballot, and we've talked to a lot of them. And uh, our brother and sister shows here have talked about uh, talked to others. But today we're going to be focusing on what's been going on in Albany. Um, so much um, news from there in the past several weeks since the beginning of the year, the beginning of the new session, the beginning of total Democratic control in Albany. We'll be speaking to one of the rookie senators up there that's part of that. Uh, that is uh, State Senator Alessandra Biaggi of the Bronx in Westchester County, one of the people who defeated an IDC Phew. candidate uh, in stunning fashion, and now is part of that apparently 15-member rookie class that's a big part of the Democrats' very big majority in Albany.
1: And she is outspoken, and she is on a mission there, and uh, she'll be very interesting to talk to. And before we bring her on the line. Just quickly, in the second half of the show, we'll be talking with City Council Member Alika Amprey-Samuel, who is the chair of the Public Housing Committee, and we'll be talking with her about the future of NYCHA. So, stay tuned for that. But now, let's bring on State Senator Biagi. You're on. Max Murphy on WBAI. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hi. Thank you for having me. I love that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We worked on it for minutes. (laughs) That you're... you're... (laughs) Anytime you're called outspoken, uh, it works for you?
2: I like it. I like it. because That's exactly right.
0: <laughs> so, uh good. It's working. So much to talk about in just the, the few weeks that you've been officially a senator. I'm curious, tell us what you take away from those first five or six weeks. What's been accomplished there in Albany versus the expectations you had after your election, before you were sworn in? How do they compare?
2: Sure. So I, I have to say that these first few weeks, and I want to remind everyone who's listening that we were inaugurated officially on the 9th, but we, of course, have been working way in advance of that, whether it's transition or otherwise, constituent issues, it really didn't matter. And so officially on the 9th, we were all sworn in. But it has been um, a whirlwind, and I would be remiss if I didn't share how um, just absolutely, incredibly humbling it also is. I think the first time that I walked into the Senate Chamber, and I'm just, you know, just out of posterity, walking into the Senate Chamber, I was blown away. I mean, it's not only stunning in terms of aesthetic, but it's it 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 has a certain feeling of um, incredible responsibility, um, and it was an incredible experience the first time. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I did it the first time, and then you know, come back in the second time, it had not gone away. And I've asked actually members who have been there. To does the feeling of walking in here ever change? And their response is resoundingly no. So that's a really exciting thing. Um, I have to say that I definitely thought that we would be moving on important issues. And when I say important issues, the way that I kind of described it before uh, January was I looked at these issues in two ways. One, issues that have fiscal components to it, so things like the New York Health Act, um, and then issues that have non-fiscal components to it. So for example, the reproductive health Act. although, of course, there are many more examples on each side. And I thought, OK, well, in the first few weeks, I'm sure we'll get to some of those things. It has been I've been blown away um, by the sheer number of important items that we have been able to tackle and pass in both chambers, not just in the state Senate, but also in the assembly, and the incredible coordination um, and partnership that the assembly and the state Senate have um, formed. And I think that that has been one of the reasons why we've been able to see a lot of this progress. So the first week alone, I mean, we passed a large voting reform package. I actually, you know, when you look at the strategy of it, I think it's actually really be um, important to start there because democracy reform is at the root of being able to do all other issue areas. When you make it easier for people to vote um, and you say no to voter suppression, which has been happening in New York State for many, many years, um, and you allow people to pre-register and have early voting um, and things that many other states have, then you send a message that you know this is a place where we where people's voices matter. And so voting is, of course, the first you know step in that direction. Um, the second week we passed Women's Health Issues, the Reproductive Health Act, the Comprehensive Contraception Coverage Act, um, as well as the BOSS bill. Um, Third week, we passed the DREAM Act. And I could be out of order here, but the DREAM Act. Then we passed the Child Victims Act. And the significance of these bills is not just the fact that we passed these important issue item bills. It's that these are bills that have been blocked for so many years. Some of them have been waiting for 10 years to come to the Senate floor, even to take a vote. So we've been able to push through many, many blocks um, and and really go down the list of things that people in New York State have been waiting for. So it's been incredible, um, and a lot of the things that I campaigned on, which I just discussed, are things that we've passed already. And I, I don't I don't know if there's another example in the country where a new state senator or new representative <laughs> enters office and the things that, most of the things that we said we supported pass in the first month. I mean, it's it's stunning, really.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sort of wondering for those of you who defeated. Uh, former members of the Independent Democratic Conference and even some of the members who defeated Republican members Mm -hmm. to create this new 39-seat majority in the 63-seat Senate. Is there sort of... um you know, an atmosphere there among you that, you know, you, you've accomplished this major swing in the politics of New York state and you're sort of on a mission to, you know, really do as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Is there a certain sort of understanding among you that, um, you know, you really need to get a lot of these things done that you all campaigned on, or is it a little bit more sort of fractured than that?
2: And I think that, so I think it's, I think it's a little bit of, um, a little bit of both of what you described. So there's definitely, I think, in with the 15 new members, which by the way is 38% of the conference. So that's 38% of the conference are all new members. So just imagine that's unbelievable. Um, a lot of the issues I just discussed are issues that all of us campaigned on, right? So this isn't really points of contention or, um, disagreements. I think that when we look at the long game here, it's been 100 years since the Democrats have controlled both chambers. You can go back 10 years and you can say, well, the Democrats actually were in power in 2010. That ended in one of the worst ways we have seen in the state, unfortunately, with a coup. And it, it, it was awful. This is a new moment. Um, and I think that because it's a new moment and because I believe that this body has learned from the experiences that have affected it, um, we are being deliberative. As our leader says, we are the deliberative body, which I like to remember at the Assembly Anytime I can (laughs) but I think that the thing that is um, that is clear is that there's a backlog right there's a backlog of the issues I just I just discussed and so it's really not um, you know an upstate downstate east west issue but I do think that because we have members from all over the state I think when we're talking about issues it is very refreshing Um, as someone who is has predominantly New York City in my district it's important and it's refreshing and it's insightful and Educational to hear about the issues that are happening upstate and and in Rochester and in Long Island and all over because it informs our decisions collectively and it allows us to make a an informed and meaningful decision instead of um, creating a uh, a body where you know everyone's arguing with each other. Of course, not everyone's going to disagree. Uh, not excuse me, not everyone's going to agree on everything. That's that's totally unrealistic. But I definitely think that for the issues that will come up as time goes on, which there will be many. Um, I think that we will have to think about the issues not just as a downstate, upstate issue, but as an entire state. So how do we make these decisions and pass these laws and have policies that can improve the welfare and the well-being of the entire state? Because I think take away all the issues, one of the things that is very clear is that this new body is not politics as usual. We're not into the transactional way of doing politics. So many of us ran on platforms that are transformative, that want to elevate the discussion, that want to be inclusive and, and talk about things like compassion, which I don't even know if those words have ever been said on the floor of the state Senate before. And so I think that this is the ultimate theme here is let's elevate. And then from that place, we will be able to have much more progress in the long term as well.
0: So, you're listening to Max Murphy on WBAI. We're speaking with Senator Alessandro Biaggi of the Bronx and Westchester County. And if you're a regular l- listener waiting for our invitation to call in and ask a question, just want to let you know that invitation won't be forthcoming because we're pre-taping today, but next we'll be back to normal and look forward to having your voice as part of the show. Uh, Senator, one thing that has underwritten, literally, a lot of the progressive policy moves in the city and in on the state level over the past several years has been a relatively rosy fiscal situation. And This week, Mm -hmm. the governor and the state comptroller talked about a very large, dark cloud on the horizon in this form of a $2.3 billion shortfall in terms of what the state's taking in this year versus projections that the governor blamed on the federal tax changes and the SALT Mm -hmm. uh, changes in the Trump tax law to what extent is that part of your of the landscape will that reshape some of the expectations and plans of the democratic majority how does that figure into the next few months
2: you know, the way I like to think about this, especially when we look at New York State, which I think many other states look to New York and say, well, has New York done it? What's New York doing? Are they ahead of this issue? Are they innovative? So because of that, I think that it kind of begs the question of, OK, well, how can we think about this you know, deficit in our budget, $2.3 billion, and be creative and innovative? And so, you know, when you look at a state like California, and I often use California as the example because... They don't have a deficit, they have a surplus. I think it's $6.1 billion surplus in their budget obviously a very different state, different dynamic, much larger, understood. But there are definitely similarities in population as well as um, distribution of population um, and interest because the entire state of California, of of course, is not only Democratic. There are many Republicans who live in the state of California, yet they've been able to think of ways to get it right. And so I think that we can look at states like that and see what are some other revenue streams that we can have in this state so that we don't have this shortfall. I mean, I'll just say that for my district, um, one of the things that is plaguing it is the transportation crisis. And I don't even want to talk, like, I almost don't even want to talk about these things in a negative framing because it just perpetuates the negativity surrounding it. I think the bottom line is this. We have a transportation issue. We have got to find the money to fix it. We don't have the money currently in our budget. So what does that mean? Are we going to have to pass congestion pricing as just one piece of that? I'm in favor of that. I've been very vocal about that. That is a absolute possibility. But what are the other ways that we can raise revenue? The legalization of marijuana is also another possibility, but we have that has many policy and health implications and we have to get it right. We can't just, uh, just pass it just simply because of the fiscal positivity. We have to make sure that it doesn't negatively impact certain communities of color that were expunging records um, previously. And so there's many different components to this, but the overall theme that I'm trying to highlight here is that New York state is at a moment Where we can, we have the luxury to be able to be innovative. And we have the people who are smart enough to push those agendas. And so. Even though we have, of course, this deficit, there are different ways to deal with it. When you look at things like the elimination of the SALT deduction in the Westchester County portion of my district, I have never seen more foreclosures in my entire life. That sends a signal to me of many things, but mainly it's just highlighting, again, the income inequality that this state is, is bearing the burden of. New York State has the largest income inequality in the entire country, and one of the reasons is because of large housing costs and so I'm looking forward to being able to dissect these many issues most of which have these fiscal components to them to not only address ways that people can remain in the state and be able to prosper, but then how can we think about a long-term solution? I think so much of what frustrates myself and one of the reasons why I even ran for office is that we're always scrambling to fix an issue and we put this band-aid on it and then, you know, 10 years can go by and the same issue comes up and maybe it's even worse. I think we have to start thinking strategically for the long term and think about how. we can invest in a way in this state and its people to take us forward. So- Climate is one of those areas as well, because it will bring green jobs. And I just wanted to make
1: sure that I... Right. No, as you were saying about planning for the future, that's actually uh, where my mind jumped as well. And, and so, just uh, quickly to follow up on that, and then I want to um, ask a different question. But in your mind, the warning signs there, the troubling uh, economic trends is not reason to say we might need to slow down on certain priorities that cost money in a budget deal, but we need to figure out how to make up any shortfalls in revenue. I mean, that sounds like what I'm hearing is... You need to be more creative about raising revenue as opposed to thinking about, well, if if the revenue is slowing that's coming in because of whatever factors, especially, let's say, federal tax reform and how it's affecting New York taxpayers and the revenue coming into the state, that it's less about dealing with that in a matter of efficiencies, cuts, et cetera, and it's more about raising revenue.
2: So, I actually... I have to like pull out my lawyer hat, and I hate to do this, but Please. it depends on the issue. <laughs> right. Every issue is different, and I think that we have to be incredibly thoughtful about that because both both approaches will have to be considered. I'll just, let's just use the New York Health Act as an example. Okay, I'm a huge proponent of the New York Health Act. Single payer um, healthcare that for the state. Everyone should have health insurance, and it's a human right. I also appreciate the huge fiscal component that's part of it, which means that we have to be fiscally responsible. We shouldn't just run out the door and pass it in the first you know, three months, because that would be irresponsible. And so it really depends on what issue it is. I think certain things, because we've been talking about them and and the advocates have been working on these bills for so long, the Reproductive Health Act is a good example of that. There's not really much else to be added to that bill, right? So that it makes sense that it goes in the category of we can do this in the first month. If we had pushed forward the New York Health Act in the first month, I think that would have been irresponsible. And I, I think that from the leader down. They're being very thoughtful about those things because we can't put an additional uh, financial burden on the state because we don't want to set us back. And I think the goal is to uh, is to reduce the shortfall, but at the same time, think about what are other states doing that increase their revenue, and what can we do? What what type of tax structures? Um, is there a way that we can reshift the transportation system? Um, and congestion pricing is one of those ways. And and look at it like a puzzle as opposed to just you know two different um avenues to go down. Okay,
1: interesting. Um, so, we've just got a few more minutes here with Senator Biaggi. I wanted to ask you, as chair of the Ethics Committee, what is on your agenda in terms of oversight, legislation? This seems like an area where there might be less uh, agreement in, in terms of the governor and the legislature. The governor has put forward a fairly aggressive ethics reform package. Some of those elements relate to the legislature. He's expecting some pushback there he said where do you come down
2: so I think that, you know, for the policies that were put into the budget, I think these are things that we're still discussing internally. But I just want to go back to the original question, which is this. And I, then I'll end on that um, and give you a clear answer. So I am excited to be chairing ethics for several reasons. Number one, this is a committee that quite literally in 2017 had not met for eight years. And then we are all wondering why is our, you know, why is the culture in Albany very corrupt when you have a healthy ethics committee that actually functions, then maybe people will think twice about the behavior and the ways in which they act in the legislature and beyond. Um, One of the things that I fought for and that I'm very excited to be able to do is that the ethics committee now can um, oversee and hear legislation, whereas previously the rules did not allow for that. That's a change, which means that bills will now go through this committee, um, and there are actually several bills that we will be um, hearing in committee uh, in about a few weeks. Um, And then on that part of the committee meetings. I mean, having regular committee meetings means that the committee is actually taken seriously. And one of the ways, in addition, that the responsibilities of the committee can be practiced or played out is through what's coming up next week, which are the sexual harassment hearings. Um, I think that it is imperative that as um, one of the largest employers in the state, I believe New York City's government actually out um, has more numbers in terms of employment than New York State, but as one of the largest employers in the state that we get right um, the ways in which we are dealing with sexual harassment in the workplace. And so these hearings are a way not only to allow for victims to come forward and experts to come forward and to share their experiences about the process and the ways um, in which they um, dealt with um, this issue, but it then informs us when we're reshaping not only the Senate policy, but also the laws that we can pass to to strengthen protections in the workplace, including public and private, um, public and private, work environment and so even though this is going to take up a lot of the air in the room for the next few weeks because it's going to take a lot of time um, not only with the hearings but then also with the follow-up to make sure that our laws and our, our policies are up to date um, this is a huge portion of why I wanted to chair this committee because Um, As a woman, as a woman in the workplace, um, I have experienced harassment in the workplace. I think that it would be hard to find a woman who hasn't hasn't experienced harassment in the workplace. And I want to send the message that this is not only not tolerated, but we take seriously individuals who cross that line and that there will be repercussions.
0: We have literally 60 seconds left. just want to ask a quick question about something else that's been in the headlines this week. Uh, the Senate saying that their pick for the Public Authorities Control Board is Mike Generis, a noted critic of the Amazon deal, a deal which will, we think, go before that board. Curious if you have any thoughts on what the Senate will do, what the Democrats will do, if Governor Cuomo A, rejects Generis as that appointee, or B, decides to bypass the PACB. What are the options on the table if he makes one of those? moves
2: so you know first of all i wanted to say that i think that senator janaris is the best person for this job he has been outspoken he has been steady he has informed and the location where amazon is being proposed to be located is inside of his district so he has a um, a a direct um, relationship to this particular issue Um, I really hope and, and encourage um, would encourage the governor to affirm his appointment because his voice is needed now. If it's rejected, of course, then the leader can put forward another individual. And so I'm I'm sure that she will do that. But I really cannot emphasize enough how um, incredibly critical it would be to have Senator Janaris' voice um, on this board. Um, going around the board, I mean, I think that people are, organ- like the unions, And the city of New York is organizing. I mean, the city council held hearings. I watched those hearings. Um, Speaker Corey Johnson was incredibly... um poignant and very directed, and it was it, it was alarming, alarming to hear the testimony from the Amazon executives who really just didn't seem very much to care um, about the work, workers' rights and unionizing, and that's alarming. In a place like New York City, and a place like New York State that actually values highly its union workers, um, I think that that's going to be pretty alarming if the, if the board is actually, you know, there's a workaround around the board. I think that we'll see lots of organizing um, in in contrast to that. Um, But I want to just, I I know we only have a few seconds left. I didn't want to ignore the the last part of your previous question. I look forward to putting forth um, the proposals from the legislature um, in response to the governor's ethics proposals in his budget. And I I will just say on that piece, I really do think that um, those proposals should go through the legislature and not be in the budget. But uh, discussions are still being had. So we'll see what happens.
1: And we appreciate you coming back to that, and I was actually going to say on the way out that we will maybe follow up with you off the air about some more, some more detail on some of that, but State Senator right. Alessandro Biagi, thanks for joining us here. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Take care.
0: And we're back on Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener sponsored non-commercial radio, coming to you from Brooklyn. And we just spoke to Senator Biagi. We'll be hearing in a moment from a city council member on the NYCHA crisis. But, you know, Ben and I, we come to you every week. We talk to you as analysts of policy, as observers of politics. What we can talk about from personal experience is what it takes to do nonprofit public interest journalism at any time, especially in this day and age. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of Uh, dedication and money. And Ben, as you know, as well as I, that money is difficult to find for us at City Limits, Gotham Gazette, and for our hosts here at WBAI.
1: Yeah, and we very much appreciate the opportunity to do this show every week on BAI. Um, We were grateful when they approached us about doing it, and we've been happy to be on the air now for several months. And if you're listening, uh, you probably listened before, or maybe you're a new listener, but hopefully you appreciate this show coming to you as part of a lot of what WBAI brings to And uh, in that vein, we do want to encourage you to support BAI. with whatever you can give as BI continues to try to bring you great public interest radio.
0: That's right. If uh, you don't step up and support it, there really is no one else who will. Uh, ben and I don't get paid for this show. It's part of our overall job to uh, to bring public interest news to the public. But there are people whose main jobs are here. There are fees for just being on the air, the literally keeping the lights on. And you need to step up if you want to keep hearing that. It's really up to you. So, WBAI.org is the place to go. You can make a one-time. You can be recurring, which is a nice way to do it, uh, but step up and do something because this is a way you can be counted and stand up for independent media at a time when it is very much under assault.
1: And on behalf of BAI here, since we are on the air on BAI once a week here for our hour, uh, you know we appreciate any support you can give to the station. That helps us uh, keep bringing you the news and interviews that we do every week here.